Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, If God is for us, let me say it like this, because God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Amen. I want to preach today and simply title my message, For Knowledge. For Knowledge. God bless you. You can be seated. For Knowledge. F-O-R. For Knowledge. Tell that person sitting beside you, you need it. You need it. You need some foreknowledge today. You might not have known that you needed it, but you need it. If you're going to endure, you need some for, F-O-R, knowledge. If you're going to get through those tough and trying days, through the tribulation that we all will endure, you're going to need some for knowledge. But before we talk about what we need, Let's talk about what God has. For, F-O-R-E, for knowledge. And what that means is that God is all-knowing. In Isaiah 46 and 10, the prophet describes him as the one who knows from everything from the end, from the beginning. So church, God's plan for salvation, it begins with his foreknowledge, F-O-R-E. E, before he ever created man, God knew that there was going to be a need for salvation down the line. And this is important for us to understand today because you see the cross was not an afterthought. The cross was not a knee-jerk reaction to unexpected sin. Revelation 13 and 8 tells us that Jesus Christ was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. God knew that men would fall. He knew that eventually men would exercise that free will that he granted and fall into sin. God knew that there would be a need for redemption because of that. So before God ever even made the world, He planned Calvary. You read the same Bible I read? 
<laughs> Additionally, God, in that foreknowledge, in his foreknowledge, he knew before he ever created mankind that he was going to have a church. It existed in the foreknowledge of God. And to that end, Paul said that God has predestined some things. That's what we read just a moment ago in Romans chapter 8. And to predestine, that means to determine in advance. That means to plan ahead. It indicates something that is unchangeable. In other words, what is predestined will happen. What God has predestined will come to pass. You can't change it. You can't alter it because God said it. And there's power in his word. Our God who sees the end from the beginning, the one who speaks, who speaks light into darkness, the one who calls the whole universe to come into being, he determined before he ever started creating the world that he was going to have a church. He determined that there was going to be a church and that that church would be triumphant. So what I want you to understand here is that predestination, it applies to God's plan for salvation. Predestination doesn't apply to the fate of an individual person. It's the fact that God's going to have a people. It is predestined. God's going to have a people. God's going to have a bride. God's going to have a church. God predestined the incarnation. He decided it in advance. He predestined Calvary. He predestined the resurrection from the grave on the third day. And he predestined the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. God predestined the fact that he is going to come again one day for a bride who has made themselves ready, a bride that is without spot, that is without blemish. Listen, he has predecided those things. He has predetermined them. He has predestined them. And because of that, these things are bound to occur. Before the world was ever formed, he predecided these things are predestined. These things are foreordained. They are going to come about. They are going to come into existence no matter what. The church will be victorious over the world. The church will triumph in the end. Why? Because he's already determined it. Check out the back of the book, somebody, and tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. The way we know it and what happens is because he's already predestined it. The church is going to come through. Oh, hallelujah, it may get tough, Brother James, but the church is going to make it. Hallelujah, we may go through trials, but the church is going to endure. Come on, there may be some times when we're down, but the church is going to persevere because he predestined it. He foreordained it. He decided in advance. Can I tell you that's good news for you and I? Because if you'll just get in the church, and if you'll just stay in the church, then your destiny is tied to the church's destiny. 
Because God's church is going to prevail. God's church is going to overcome this sinful world. Oh, I know you might struggle a little bit along the way, but if you'll just stay in the church, you you might fall from time to time, but if you'll just make up in your mind that you're going to get back up and that you're going to stay in the church. You've got an assurance that if you remain in God's plan for your life, for your life, if you'll remain in the church in the end, the church is going to be victorious. So whatever you do, don't turn your back on the church. Don't hate on the church. You're hating on the thing that God says, hey, you know what? It might not be perfect. Find a perfect person, right? They don't exist. Neither does a perfect church, including this one. But stay in the church. What, what, what did God predestine for the church? Well, we, we see it beginning in verse 29. He predestined it to, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus wasn't intended to be the last that was born of spirit, but many brethren. So he foreordained that the church would be made in the likeness of Jesus. It's God's will that Christ be formed in us. It's God's will that we have his mind, that we, we, we have his heart, that, that, that we move about in his ways, that we possess his nature. That's what he said his church was going to be. We're going to be formed in the likeness, in the image of his son, in the image of Jesus. We will be made. That's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to be conformed to the image of the Lord, not to the image of this world. So first God knew that he would have a church, and then he predestined its ultimate salvation and its ultimate victory over the world. Then, based on that plan, Paul told us in the next verse, in verse 30 of Romans 8, that he began to call men and women to become part of this church. I'm going to have a church, and I'm calling you to be a part of it. But I want you to know today that God's calling to be a part of the church is not a limited calling. God does not just call those that he already knows that they're going to respond. God, God, listen, the invitation that we see in the word of God, it's universal. Let me say it like this. It's for whosoever will. If you want to be a part of God's church, then you can be a part of God's church. It's for whosoever will. According to Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, it says that many are called. Many are called, but few are chosen. So can I tell you today that the difference between the called and the chosen, it's what the individual does with the call of God in their life. You're called, but will you be chosen? Oh, hallelujah. Listen, if this passage was teaching us about the fate of individuals and and how, you know what, our salvation or or us being lost, us being in the church or not in the church, if, if this was teaching us about that and that it was already determined, then listen, the calling of God would be very specific. The calling of God would be very limited. But that's not what we see in the Word of God. 
That's not the way scripture describes the call of God. It's a broad call. It is a far-reaching call. It is a call for whosoever will. Anyone and everyone is invited to become a part of the church of Jesus Christ. He calls us all. He calls the whole world. But don't be confused. His church is only going to be composed of those who answer the call. He calls, but are you listening? He calls, but are you, are you obeying? He's calling, but are you willing to be conformed to his image? Hallelujah. Then in verse, 80, uh, excuse me, verse 30 of Romans 8, not only does he call, but we read about those who answer the call, who obey the gospel, and he says that those who are called will be justified. God counts them as righteous. That's what justified means. We're not righteous. We can't be righteous by our own abilities. We've got to have his righteousness. So he says, what's your call? Then, then you need to get justified. You need to be made right by the righteousness of God based on the cross, based on the blood of, of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross regardless of your sin, regardless of your past. You can be made righteous. You can be justified. But it didn't stop there. And he said, after you're justified, then the final step of God's plan of salvation is glorification. You're called. Then you need to be justified and then glorified. But we're not there yet, are we? Your neighbors sitting beside you, they may look good, but they're not glorified. Men, if you're smart, you'll tell your wife, he don't know what he's talking about. You are glorified. We're called out. We are separated from this world, yet we still live in this sinful world. And we still struggle with our flesh, and we still struggle with our sin nature, no doubt. But I'm telling you, church, one of these days, one of these days, he's going to take us out of this world, and he's going to give us a new body. It's referred to in the Bible as a glorified body. And on that day, we will finally, we will be finally completely, we will overcome the world once and for all in the culmination of that process. It's glorification. It's sanctification, if you will. And we will be forever set aside for the pleasure of our God. That's the end goal. We're called justified, then glorified. I want you to notice that although we are not yet glorified, in verse 30, Paul spoke of this in the past tense. This shows me something. This shows me that in the mind of God, our glorification is as good as done. Shows me that God is certain that there's going to be a people who are called out. There's going to be a people who are justified and made righteous. There's going to be a people who are glorified. God is absolutely certain about that. God will bring it to pass. And if we remain in the church and if we stay in the midst of His plans for our lives and if we'll just stick with it, even when the going gets tough, one of these days He's going to take us from this world and He's going to complete the good work that he has started in us. Oh, come on, somebody needs to hear me today. All you gotta do is hold on. All you gotta do is persevere. All you gotta do is make it to the end. The foreknowledge of God, the pre predestination of God, there's gonna be a church and the church is gonna 
be victorious. So here in chapter 8, Paul crafted this argument. He built a predicate so that he could arrive at this bold and audacious claim that he made in verse 31 of Romans 8. What then, having said all of this, what then shall we say to these things? God's working, God's moving, God's put a plan in motion, God spoke it, hallelujah, he's not like a man that he should lie, God's word will come to pass, he's talking about what God has predestined, he's talking about what God has ordained, and he's saying when we think about all of this, we need to come to the place that we realize that if God is for us, then who can be against us? In other words, Paul was saying, what shall we say in light of all of these revelations, in light of an understanding of what God has put in motion? What is the conclusion of the matter? What should we think about this? What should this teach us? He said it should teach us that God is for us. And because God is for us, none can be against us. Church, if God is on our side, it doesn't matter who opposes us. At the youth day service at General Conference, Adam Shaw from Canada preached, and he, he preached about fear and being afraid. How to be afraid was the title of his message. And if you get a chance to watch it, go watch it. But listen, uh, he, here's one thing he said. He said, if you'll just have a proper fear of God, you don't have to fear anything else. If you'll just learn to fear God, if you'll just let your fear and reverence of God be greater than every other thing in your life, you don't have to worry about any other thing. And I'm here to declare to you today, if you'll just get an understanding, if you'll just get some knowledge that God is for you, and because God is for you, you don't have to worry about anything else. Who can be against you? Who can stand up against your God? Who can face down your God? Who can compare with your God? Oh, somebody worship him for a moment. Hallelujah. Yes. He's for you. Hallelujah. He's He's for you, F-O-R. He's for you. He's not only with us in the sense that he is present alongside of us, but he's for us. It's comforting to know that God's with us, isn't it? But it's another thing to understand that God's for us. In other words, he wants you to make it. He wants you to be victorious. He wants you to rise above. He wants you to overcome. Come on, he wants you. He's for you. He wants you to prevail. He doesn't want you to be the tail. He wants you to be the head. He's pulling for us. He's for us. The word for, F-O-R, in the original language conveys more than just the idea that God is like our cosmic cheerleader. It's not what this is. It's not just mean, doesn't just mean that God is, is up in heaven rooting for us. That Greek word, it means on behalf of. Let me say it like this. Not only is he for us, but he's working for us. 
He's doing, he's moving, he's operating on behalf of us. That's the significance of God being for us. Not that he is just pulling for us or cheering for us, but that he is actually working on our behalf. All things do what? He's working on our behalf. You see, you need to understand today that God is not neutral when it comes to you. God is not neutral when it comes to me. He is personally invested in each and every one of us. And I want you to know today that God is for you. He is on your side and he's working on your behalf. Hallelujah. When Paul said, who can be against us? Don't misunderstand what he was saying. He wasn't saying, he wasn't suggesting that no one will ever oppose us. He wasn't saying that we'd never have opposition. That's not what he said. He was not suggesting that there would never be any trouble or trial in our lives. You know, as long as we live for God, that everything will be rosy. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying was that if God is working for you, if God is going to bring it about, if God's word is going to triumph in the end, does it really matter who or what is working against you? If God is on your side, does it really matter? Because there is no power in the universe that is greater than our God. His word tells us that greater is he that is within us than he that is in this world. There is no person greater than him. There is no spirit greater than him. There is no force anywhere greater than him. There is nothing that can overcome the God that is for you and working on your behalf. Oh, hallelujah, you can be saved in Jesus' name. You need to hear me today. It's not God's will for you to always struggle. It is God's will for you to be saved, for you to be liberated, for you to be victorious. Hallelujah. So in order to demonstrate that God is for us, the Apostle Paul presented the most compelling evidence that there is. Because if God was willing to leave heaven and become a man, that, that ought to tell you something about how he feels about your success. Come on, if God was willing to leave his throne in glory, and he was willing to humble himself, take on flesh, in order that he might have sinless blood at the end of 33 years and lay down his life for our salvation, then surely we ought to begin to get the message that God has invested in us. Surely we ought to begin to see the picture that God wants us to make it. Hallelujah, that he wants us to make it all the way to heaven. Listen, this is what it means when I say that God is for us. He made a way where there was no way. We were lost and undone. We were strangers and foreigners. We owed a debt that we could not pay. Sin had a hold on our lives, and we were powerless to break the hold that it had. But then God stepped in, and he did the impossible. He did the improbable. He did the unthinkable. 
The Bible says he made himself a little lower than the angels. That's what, that's what we are. He was fully God, but he was fully man. The creator entered his creation. That's what we read in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6, when it says, Who, speaking about God, Jesus being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But here's what he did. He made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. The one who should have been served became a servant. Coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You got to understand, he didn't just die any death, he died the death of a criminal. He died a death of shame and he did that for us. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Does anybody know that name today? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There it is right there. God's invested in this. God is on your side. He's for you. He got in the game. I want you to think about this for a moment. God has already done the hardest part. Can I get a nod out there? God's already done the hardest part. He's already paid the ultimate price. The creator of the universe, the ancient of days, he, not another, he humbled himself. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Verse 14, the word was manifest in the flesh. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why? To show us that he was for us. So he could redeem us. So he could buy us back. He already made us, but now he wants to buy us back. And listen, and if he's already done that much, then there is nothing that he will not do in order to make your salvation certain. Oh, hallelujah, I've talked about this before. Sometimes we think that it's easy. It's easy to backslide. But I want you to know you're going to have to backslide over his dead body. You're going to have to backslide over his blood. Hallelujah. It's not an easy thing to backslide because God is reaching for you. He is pulling for you. He is chiding with you. He's being patient with you. He continues to, to send his spirit to you. He continues to send word after word after word after word to you. Oh, hallelujah. He's for you. I said he's for you. You don't need to doubt that today. You need to know that. You need to settle that. He's for you. Oh, hallelujah. He's already done the hard part. Giving us everything that we need to stay saved is the easy part. And he's given you everything that you need. You've got a beautiful family. 
to help spur you on to good works. You, you've, got a, you've, got a, you've got a beautiful family that you, confess your, you can confess your faults to so that you can be healed. You've got brothers and sisters. You've got a church. You've got the word of God. You've got a direct connection to him through prayer. Listen, the easy thing for him to do is, is, is helping us stay saved. And I believe, though, he will do whatever it takes to protect his investment. And he has put his spirit in you. You know what that means? That's a down payment. He is, he is invested in you. And he wants to do everything that he can to make good on that investment. He will freely give all things, whatever we need, so that one day we make heaven our home. Hear me again. God is in your corner. God is for you. He is not neutral. He is not impartial. He's not just sitting back and waiting to see how things are going to turn out. But no, in a very literal sense, God has some skin in the game. He committed himself. He's not just backing you. He's working. He's working for you. This means that whatever you are up against, this means that whatever you're going through in your life, this may, means that, that whatever the trouble or the trial may be, he will make a way for you where there seems to be no way because he's for you. He doesn't want the trial to be your undoing. He doesn't want that problem to be your defeat. No, but if you'll look to him and know that he's there to work on your behalf, he wants to see you through. Hallelujah. He wants to see you endure. He wants to see you persevere because he's got a church that he's coming back for. Paul went on to list a whole litany of things in the remainder of that chapter, chapter 8, none, none, none of which can stand against us. In verse 35 of Roman eight, Romans 8, Paul declared, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is anybody thankful for that today? He goes on to make it a little plain for us, just so we don't skip over this. Shall tribulation? Somebody shall know. What about distress? How about persecution? Maybe famine? possibly nakedness or peril perhaps sword nothing nothing can separate us no thing can separate us from the love of God I want you to know today tribulation is trouble or it's a trial. Distress is the result of tribulation. It's the mental anguish. So I want you to hear me today. When you get stressed out, when you get mentally anguished, you need to remind yourself God is for me. And because God is for me, it doesn't matter what I'm facing. Even when I'm persecuted, I can know he's for me. I can have foreknowledge. I know. I know he's for me. When I'm in a season of famine. Come on, when I'm broke, even when I'm broke, when I don't have two pennies to rub together. When I'm all out of resources. When I don't know where to turn. When I don't know where the funds are coming from. I can still know that he's for me. He's for me. He's working. 
I can know that when I'm facing peril, when I'm facing the sword, when all I can see around me is danger, when I feel threatened, when the news from the doctor isn't a good report, I can still know it might not look good, but I trust my God and he's going to work it out because he's for me and he's working all things together for my good. Paul continued in verse 38 of Romans 8. For I am persuaded. I wonder if there's anybody out there today who's persuaded. Come on, anybody out there who's persuaded? Let me see your hand. Paul said, I am persuaded. What God said is going to happen. What God predestined is going to be fulfilled. What God has foreordained is going to take place. And I am persuaded that as long as I'm part of his church, as long as I'm part of the bride... I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pastor Chris, I think Paul pretty much covered it all, didn't he? Sounds like a pretty good list to me. If God is for us and not even death can be against us. You may be thinking, oh, that doesn't compute. That doesn't compute. People die. I hurt. I grieve. Can I remind you what the Word of God says? Death is not the end. It's just the beginning. Oh, death, where is your sting? Hallelujah. Death can't separate you from the love of God. Angels, aliens. I know there's a lot of talk about aliens now. They can't separate you from the love of God. Principalities or powers, your present circumstances or your future circumstances, height, depth, no any other created thing, nothing can separate us from the knowledge that he is for us, that he loves us. Stand with me. Hallelujah. I'm inviting everybody to come pray today. Listen, I think that ought to happen every Sunday, by the way. But I'm inviting everybody to come pray today. This is a real simple message. But it's a truth that many times we take for granted. We often overlook the implications of that simple phrase that God is for us. Hear me. He's not just aware of your predicament. He's just not aware of your circumstance. He's right in the middle of it. He's right there with you. He's making a way, if you'll allow him, a way where there seems to be no way. And I believe the Lord sent me to this pulpit today with a simple message for somebody in this house. God is more than just on the sidelines cheering for you. But he's working. He's rolled up his sleeves. He's invested in you. He's working for you. He's working on your behalf. He's for you today. He's stacking the deck in your favor. And you need to know that. Come on, don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Come on, you may be weary, but don't give up because in due season, we're going to reap. In due season, the church is going to be raptured away. In due season, we're going to be glorified. Come on, don't throw in the towel. Come on, friend, don't throw in the towel. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on living for God. He's at work, and he'll work for you if you'll let him.
Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, TLCDallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLCDallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.